Jason Baylor Losh, and you're listening to Seeing is Forgetting, conversations on contemporary art and culture in Los Angeles and beyond. Today's guest is Adam Miller from The Pit. Adam Miller and Devin Oder run the gallery space here in Los Angeles called The Pit. Uh, I invited them both to be by here. Unfortunately, Devin couldn't make it. Uh, They are partners because they have a newborn child. Adam is one of those guys who I could envision myself being friends with uh, during high school and like continuing on that relationship for a very long time. Because we're we're so friendly, uh, this conversation is, is sort of amazing. It goes into horror films, uh, music, his uh, work with PETA, and misconceptions about uh, what PETA is and how it actually functions, and, and then into this uh, conversation about opening up an amazing uh, space that was originally a project space and then developed into a real legitimate gallery presence in Los Angeles. And they've done this over a very short period of time where now they have a gallery director and they're going to be representing artists. And we go into the discussions about this. This is a a must-hear interview for anybody who is considering opening a space or actually already owns one because it is very honest and thoughtful also, we talk about being an artist and actually running this space and how that comes about and the the concerns and sort of issues about whether you're going to be taken seriously as an artist after you open a gallery space and run it and run it well. I had a lot of fun in this conversation, so enjoy it. You're not going to actually hear about the gallery until about 20 minutes in because we're talking about all this other stuff that we just have in common, and it is it was really a pleasure. So... Here's Adam. We're recording. Mm. We're off. I, you have been the first person to notice that I have signed autographed pictures of people <laughs> behind me on the wall uh-huh uh but they're to to people listening <laughs> we have linda blair and right linda blair yeah it's linda blair and willow i don't know what the actor who played willow's name who also played the leprechaun yeah he did yes yeah, i don't know his name do you uh, Ro, uh rowan what is his name i can't even see it i think I, it was in a harry, in a harry potter movie too. he is he's one is of the no, he's one of the uh goblins is it yeah yeah <laughs> Yeah, but the, the autograph says, don't call me a peck. Ah. Yeah. When I was in high school, I had a, one of my best friends, his name was Alex Peck, and he was really short, and people would make fun of him calling him Peck. Like out of the movie type thing? I think so, yeah. Here, let me look this up real quick, because I feel like it's I important think, to at least I say I think that's what they called, called the, the little characters in it. Yeah, but the, it, was a, it was like calling somebody, a, a little person, a, a bad Yeah, it was like a derogatory term that, yeah, they, that yeah, they called yeah, yeah, them. Yeah. Uh, Willow, let's see here. Work Davis. Mm. There you go, Work Davis. We got to give him a shout out. And then the third one that I actually had and I hadn't had up yet was uh, Kane Hodder, Jason from Friday the 13th. The legend. But you knew who Kane Hodder was. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> of course. Yeah, yeah. I, I, uh, I'm, I'm a nerd. I, I, I follow uh, bloodydisgusting.com and I listen to podcasts on horror movies. <laughs> and 
Yeah, Kane Hodder is totally famous. He's amazing. Okay. He, Kane Hodder has played Jason from Friday the Thirteenth more times than any other nine or ten times, I believe, he played him. Yeah, it's crazy. Mm-hmm. And then the last one or two movies, they didn't have him. Have him play yeah, Jason. he wasn't in the the remake that came out a couple of years ago, uh, or reboot or whatever they called it. And he was not in the. <clears throat> I don't he, believe he was in Freddy vs. Jason. He, I'm pretty sure he wasn't. I don't think he was either. I think the last yeah. one he did was the outer space one. Jason, Jason in space. X. Jason X. Yeah, Jason X. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You yeah. <laughs> did you know that uh, David Cronenberg has a really small cameo in that? Yes. It's amazing. Yes, yeah. I did. He, I completely he's forgot he's like about the. That. He's a scientist or something. Or right? like a space warden or something, and Jason comes alive and hacks him right in the beginning. Up. Yeah, right in the beginning. But it's is the David like. Mr. Artsy director David Cronenberg horror movie guy. It's amazing. I've never, I have to be honest, I've never been into... Wait, what, what are the early Cronenberg films, though? The Brood. Um, I haven't been... like I saw earlier stuff. Uh, but, like, I saw Crash. Oh, well, and it that's, was just, that's like... It's just disturbing. Yeah, well, it's just kind of a shitty movie in general. Like, Crash is... Uh, when he kind of left horror, I think it got kind of... Some of it's, it's pretty spotty. Some of it's pretty great, and some of it's pretty awful. The I Fly. thought Crash was bad. Yeah, the fly is amazing. The fly is really, really good. The brood, the brood is incredible. That's an amazing one. There's something else in there that's really good. Oh, History of Violence is really good too. Yeah, that's a good one. Eastern Promises, History, the Brood. I've never seen the Brood. Oh, it's super good. It's like people, uh, their psychological trauma manifests itself in like mutations on their bodies. Scanners. Yeah, scanners. Scanners. Yeah, amazing, dude. That's the one I was trying to think so of. Scanners. Good. So good. Cr- so so good. We'll just forget Naked Lunch. Like, who cares? Yeah, there's a... <laughs> he tried he went for it yeah yeah scanners though that's some shit amazing scanners is amazing it's it's like one of the worst movies in terms of acting that gets the most like cred from like art people like in the world people like love that movie and talk about how great it is because it's all this like psychoanalysis and stuff and the actors are god awful like, horrible the worst acting ever horrible like, it's just the terrible dude in that film is no good, unless he's listening to this, and then I think he's okay. Oh, he's really bad. <laughs> <laughs> Even if he listens, it's really bad. That's crazy. So uh, when I was a kid, I had a, a subscription to Fangoria. Uh huh. And for those who have never uh, read Fangoria, boy, that's a that's very a graphic. Very it's graphic. Super it's graphic. So good. It um, should come with like a wrapper or something so that little kids can't open it. Doesn't it? Does it's not like I don't. Back then, God, no. this was the. This was like the 80s, late 80s, uh, early 90s or something. No, it didn't have it one did of those. It did not have anything like that? No. You could yeah. pick it up on like the grocery store <laughs> shelf and just start like thumbing Human through beings it. flayed alive and yeah, yeah, yeah really, holy, really gory. Yeah. Holy And they crap. make, they, they um, have a production company as well. They make movies. Now they do. Yeah, but then they have for a while, like maybe 10, 15 years. And they're super low budge. They're not any good though. No. Well, I think they, I th- maybe I'm wrong, but I believe they were involved with a uh, uh, Demon Knight Tales from the Crypt and some of those. Oh, really? I think Fangoria was. No, involved. I gotta tell you, that those was are, a, those are okay. That first one was pretty good. Remember, he had that like the five stars on his hand. It's okay. It's not great. But oh it's no, okay. no, because they play. Like uh, <laughs> they play. Uh, what's that song? A lot of filter playing. Yeah, filter. Yeah. <laughs> shot. So bad. Yeah, yeah. Um, I was totally into it. I like when there's like the like the um, uh, really cheesy kind of like animatronic demons like underneath Jesus as he's being. Oh, crucified, and I they're like, about they're, I don't know, like drinking the blood or bathing in it or doing it's just like ridiculous, ridiculously over the top, and like pretty amazing. Do way. you remember that second one they came out with? With uh, what's his name, the comedian with the beard, Dennis Miller? Yeah, it was Dennis yeah, Miller. Yeah, yeah, it was a vampire movie, yeah, and it was uh, terrible. And what's her name with the redhead, uh, 
uh, Bordello of Blood. It was awful. Yeah, but the yeah. <laughs> the actress was a model who could not act as, as well either. And Unless, it, of course, she's listening to this and wants to be on the podcast. Yeah, and it was um one, one of the Corys. One of the Corys was... Was he? Yeah. The, uh, one of the Corys. The, oh, you're right. Why can't I think of which one it was? Michael Jackson's friend. He gets turned he was, into uh, Corey uh, Feldman. Feldman, right? Yeah. I always... I got to tell you something about the Corys. I always wanted Corey Haim to have Corey Feldman's last name because I thought Feldman was such a better Corey name. And I like mm-hmm. Corey Haim better than I like Corey Feldman. He was pretty obnoxious. I, I, I wasn't a big fan of either, to be honest. Really? <laughs> no. License to drive? No, I was, I, I was not a big fan of that. No. Even like like Lost Boys, I'm not like super into him. What is people wrong love with that you? Movie. Yes. <laughs> the dude, I, the dude with the it. saxophone yeah. and I, I no mean, shirt? It's funny, but like... Oh, it's so good. I mean, those two in a horror movie, I don't know. Okay, so... Yeah. You, you own an art gallery. I do. I co-own one. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Let's get into um, tonight. I asked Adam and his wife Devin to be on. Uh, Devin unfortunately couldn't make it. They have a little one, mm-hmm. a brand new baby. I have a little baby boy, River. How old is he? He's eight months now. Yeah. So she unfortunately couldn't make it with us, but we will talk about. I'll have to do. Yeah. <laughs> 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 I'm sure she would have been thrilled to be having the conversation about the horror movies. Is she and she that? has watched uh, because of being married to me. So we've been married for uh, almost seven years now, which means we've been living together for almost 10. Um, so she has watched a ton of horror movies. So I don't think she, she likes like, like artsy one. Like she likes like Polanski. She likes like some Cronenberg stuff, yeah. but she doesn't like, she doesn't she's like she doesn't like she doesn't like slasher movies. She doesn't like like super gory movies, but she's seen a ton of them. So she can actually <laughs> she can participate in a conversation with a pretty big horror buff. She can hold her own. Yeah, I think so. What do you think of Jari, Dario Argento? Uh, I'm not into I'm, it that I'm, much. I'm fifty fifty. Like there's, oh, I think his career almost can't even be looked at as one thing because there's like the early Italian stuff where. Uh, there's all that like dramatic lighting stuff going on, which was sort of like in, informing and changing sort of like the slasher genre. Uh, so I, those movies are really kind of like hokey, but then they have these really like cool artistic moments to them. And he was kind of like setting the tone for this new genre of horror, which I think is, was really cool. Yeah. Um, like I'm trying to draw a blank. Like what's the movie that I had? Uh, I can't remember drawing a blank on her name too. Um, I don't remember any of the names of them. I never. I don't think I ever had the willpower to sit down and watch an entire one all the way through. Oh no. Okay. Well, like I, I've seen like, them. I mean, Suspiria is great. I've seen Suspiria. And Inferno is like, really in good. Ninety percent. Deep Red's of it. really good. Like, <laughs> the, so there, there, there's like a moment where I think they're they're really good, and then you know he he's like a pretty prolific filmmaker. Um, then there's a period where he started doing shooting on. I think shooting on video or just got really, really low budget. And in my opinion, that's pretty much all garbage for like about 10 or 15 years. I'm going to say, I'm going to say this wrong. Jordowski. Hodorowski. Hodorowski. Is that how you pronounce yeah, it? Yeah, I believe so. Yeah. Okay. So Hodorowski's Dune. Oh, it's an amazing movie. Did you, well, if it would have been right. Yeah. yeah well, the documentary is the amazing documentary movie. is amazing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But where do you like, I was watching that, the documentary and I was thinking about that in terms of like, horror or sci-fi in general mm-hmm. like in some of his other films too are really like pushing the limits they're pretty crazy yeah yeah they're super crazy Hodorowski's films um have you seen them 
I have seen them. I haven't seen everything because he's he's gone on to make newer stuff too. But I've seen like the old stuff, like yeah, the like Holy Mountain, Holy Mountain, and, yeah, and yeah, El Topo, yeah. and those movies. Um, what do you think of Holy Mountain? I don't quite know what I think about Holy Mountain. I mean, like, there's like moments I think are it's really interesting and it is, uh, it's very surreal and it's tapping into all this sort of like uh, ancient mythologies and psychoanalysis and it's like layered and some of that stuff. I think I think hits on pretty interesting areas. And sometimes it's just weird. Sometimes, well, sometimes I think it's like. explicit cruelty that isn't in service to like the ideas and, 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 you know, like, like some of the stuff, like the, maybe I'm, maybe I'm wrong, but I believe that movie has, has the scene where they cut off that man's like cock and testicles. Oh, I don't remember that. I believe it's that one. And it, in my opinion, it was just sort of just way over the top and didn't seem, and wasn't in service to sort of the more uh, extreme surrealism that I think he was sort of classifying himself as. Um, and furthermore, with those movies, I have a hard time because they there is animal cruelty in the filming of those movies. So I there uh, is there is animal cruelty in the filming of those movies. So I uh, ethically have a big issue with the with those movies. Oh, I didn't realize that. Okay, yeah, so yeah. Uh, you worked for PETA. I did work for PETA. I, uh, I'm for a, how long? I worked for PETA for uh, almost five years. Um, I started out as a traveling campaigner. So I was. Uh, what is that? I was traveling the country, organizing and leading protests for uh, animal rights causes. Really? Mm-hmm. So I did it for. I started in uh, what year was it? Two thousand nine, two thousand ten, something like that. I was recently married. Uh, I had finished with my MFA. I'm an artist. I finished with my MFA in two thousand eight, and then I've been working for. Where did you go to school? At Art Center. Uh, that's where I met my wife. Dev and I were both getting our MFAs at Art Center in Pasadena. She's a photographer. Mm-hmm. She's a photographer and she does some some uh, film video stuff. You're a too. painter and a sculptor. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And it kind of all comes from drawing and printmaking. And yeah, stuff. yeah, yeah. So anyway, so after school, I worked for an artist for several years. Good experience, learned a bunch, but then kind of like hit a point where like I kind of like just if I if I had to have a day job, I didn't really want it to be related to art anymore. Or you guys are both working for the same artist, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. Uh, I mean, we just, it's not and a secret. Then, we were both working for Sterling Ruby. Yeah, and we worked for him for. And then she stayed after you left. Yeah, so Devin worked for him for six or seven years, and I worked for him for three or four years. Oh, a long time. Yeah, yeah. So uh, she was his first office employee. I was his, I believe, second full time assistant. Um, so we were kind of there through like oh the, the, the very of, beginning, the very beginning. So we we're like there for like the meteoric rise of. His career was really exciting, and we learned a lot. And do you, do you find? And I've talked about this before, and but I'm, I might have talked about it with you. But like when you're working in an artist studio, and you're you're putting all that time in the artist studio, and there's a lot of rewarding things that come out of it, but it's so draining. The last thing you want to do is go home and work in your own studio. Yeah, totally. Yeah, I mean, I think that's why you needed to leave. That was definitely. I didn't. I wouldn't say I needed to leave. I wasn't feeling fulfilled by it anymore. And then I was just looking online and happened to find an, uh, a job listing for PETA. Because and it was I, something you believed in it, anyway. Exactly. So I felt like, oh, like I could apply for this. And then it would sort of fulfill this other thing that I'm very passionate you about. You had a passion for it. So it was like exactly. easy because that was something to like go a direction toward. Yeah, like yeah. Really put your weight into it. Totally. But it wasn't like I was miserable and hating. No, no, no. Absolutely not. I was not. or by no, any no. means. That's Every, a good studio to fine. work for too, by the way. Yeah, everything was great. Yeah. He's a good boss. I started working for PETA as a, a traveling campaigner. So I... Two weeks out of the month, I would I would basically travel the country and I would do five days of, of, of lead protests in five different cities out of the week. And I would do press and I would organize people and we would do a demonstration and then I'd fly home. So uh, when I was working there at first, I would do that. And so I would do one month, I'd be gone for a week. And then the next month, I'd be gone for two weeks. And I'd 
back and forth, back and forth. So I did that for a while, um, and I kind of worked the most on dealing with uh, animals and entertainment issues. Oh, really? Like uh, circuses and that type of thing? Or? Uh, yeah, uh, Ringling Brothers and SeaWorld were the ones I spent the most time working with. Good for you. Thanks. And now it's really amazing because... Because they have the, direct the, effect. The, yeah, the elephants have been retired. They've been brought off the road. And now SeaWorld has announced that they're no longer g- going to continue the captive breeding programs. Holy which, shit, Adam. That's like yeah. direct effect. It's really amazing. And it was really cool, too. Like, as uh, as an artist, when I was working for PETA, uh, I did two videos where uh, I basically did all these animations, I did all these drawings and stuff. Um, one was for Ringling Brothers and one was for SeaWorld. And the SeaWorld one... Uh, end up being translated to all these different languages and I think it's been viewed like over 10 million times now. Really? It's pretty amazing. Yeah. To me, it felt really amazing. That, that is it, amazing. To be like how many, that, the kind of impact that you can actually have when you're involved with like well and this is why kind of reach. this is why you went for that job to begin with, right? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. I felt very strongly about it and uh, and I loved it. I, I really loved working for PETA. Like it was, I mean, nonprofit work is like super, super grueling. You, like I like signed a contract that was like, your salary and it was like your work week was it was basically like from 1201 midnight sunday to like you know 12 really? p.m mondays or whatever 12 p.m yeah, Sunday, yeah. you know whatever it was like all the time so it was like they could call you and be like we need you to do an interview right now and like you have to like get it together and because it's different time zones yeah and all this you know and uh but it was really it was really great for me um so i started as a traveling campaigner i did that for like a year then i moved into uh, their communications department so i was dealing with the press I don't even remember what my actual official title was, but I was like a pitcher. So I basically get certain amount. I had certain issues that I dealt with specifically. I'd get a certain amount of press releases every day and I would send them to the media markets, wherever these things were happening. Usually there were protests or something. Yeah. Um, and then I would call all the reporters and all the, like uh, uh, the news managers and stuff and try and get them to cover the issue. So I did that for like six months and that was, that's going to be intense, pretty thankless and pretty grueling. Yeah. <laughs> like, Cause like when you work with, when you work with other activists, it's like, at least you're, you're, you're talking to other people that at least care about the issue. You're also confronting people that don't care. Yeah. So you have people like spitting on you and telling you to fuck off or whatever. Yeah. But when you deal with like the press, like they don't, they, they give ob- a shit. They objectively don't give a shit. So it's just like whatever seems like the most exciting thing. So like, like if they don't have anything else on the news cycle, then yeah. maybe they'll cover you. <laughs> so you're just constantly irritating people. Basically was my job for like oh a while. My God. So I was like calling them and be like, Hey, like, you know, we covered this issue or like this thing just happened long story short. So I did that for like six months and then I went back into the, it was called the grassroots, uh, grassroots activist department. So then I went back into that, that area. And then I was working, um, more behind the scenes. So I was, I actually got administratively or what? I got moved into like a, a assistant manager position and I was working with, I had a team of people and we would basically would brainstorm basically how to be sort of like softer activists in a way. So like we would like come up with like Does ways PETA to like do that. I didn't even know PETA did that. My department did at that time. Yeah. PETA like is very, very far reaching. Like they do extreme stuff because that's what gets press. And, and that's what you know them for because you it know gets them the for, press. But then they do all kinds of amazing things. Like they do live animal rescues. They do, they go into schools and talk to kids. They do all these, all these other things that are, don't get any press because it isn't, you know, that's earth shattering, yeah. you know? Yeah. <laughs> so like, you're always here about PETA for like being extreme and being crazy, but then they have all like, like I said, like we would like brainstorm, like, like four ways to uh, to ask your boss how to get soy milk in the office, like real simple things like yeah, that, yeah. or like or like like uh, encourage people like bring soy lattes to their office mates and explain to them that it's dairy free, like yeah. real little things that like, but do kind of like spread the message and get people to like a like not have such a negative uh, opinion of animal rights activists and vegans, 
but also that can actually like start implementing changes to people's lives too because they're gonna be like oh like this actually does taste good or this is like a simple little thing i can do or like encouraging people like don't leave your dog in your car when you and go you're to vegan store. and i'm a vegan yeah how long have you been vegan i stopped eating meat 19 years ago it's a long time ago let me see i'm 34 and i quit eating meat when i was 14 really yeah so however long that is and i've been a vegan since i was 21 so i'm that's a long time yeah so it's been a while have you ever had a slip or anything well, with the vegan stuff, like my attitude is just like do the best you can where you can. So yeah, yeah, like yeah. to me, like I feel like uh, and this is actually something that people never think PETA would recommend or, or encourage people to do. But they fully are like, just do the best you can where you can. They're like, if you go to a restaurant and you make a big stink about like what's in the bread, that just paints such a negative impression of vegans terrible, and yeah. animal rights yeah. that you're you're hurting people more than if you just ate a piece of bread. So to me, like I kind of feel like I haven't consciously made made a slip with with veganism yeah but, you but like there have been times like where i'm like traveling and I'm like i don't like ask like you know what's in this role or something like that and it's yeah, just yeah, like yeah. the world just moves on i'm still a vegan you know <laughs> you know i mean i think that's like the the just do the best you can when you can is the right attitude because if you get just so wrapped up in all the little details surrounding these ethical political issues totally makes it sense. can just like drive you insane yeah, too yeah. you know i wanted to we'll switch gears yeah yeah Music. Let's talk about music a little bit because music's a big thing in your life and it influences the work that you make and tell me a bit about where that comes from. Yeah. So when, um, it influences, I don't even know if you even, if we've even said this, the gallery that we run is called the pit. We're going to get to (laughs) that. (laughs) Um, it influences our sort of, um, the complete idea in the way that we run the pit for you and Devin for Devin and I. Yeah, totally. Um, so where to start? When I was in high school, my family moved to Northern California. I we were living in Stockton, California. I had like a really rough time of it. I sort of found acceptance in the punk community, and I joined a punk band when I was fifteen. I guess I was fifteen, and then music kind of like turned into this like really huge part of my life for like a long time. So for for many years, I always kind of felt like doing art was always in service to music. So I was making posters and doing album covers for bands and making t-shirts and doing all these printing patches and doing all this kind of stuff. Being a punk and like I did the, I had the same experience growing yeah, yeah. up in like small town. I had a difficult time too. Music was a, a safe haven. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, I mean, that's as it has definitely stayed with me to, to this day. So I was in Stockton. I played the bass. I was in a punk band, a couple of punk bands. And then I moved to Sacramento when I finished high school. Cause like all my friends, most of my friends who we played music with, they all moved to Sacramento. So I started going to the um, Sac State, and I was getting a bachelor's degree in graphic design and a minor in studio art. But I always kind of viewed that at the time, at least for not always, but for a period of time, I viewed that as sort of just to kind of like appease my parents so I could just like focus on music. The so, studio art, really? Yeah. yeah That's yeah, crazy yeah. that art yeah. was the thing that was like, <laughs> I've got a stable yeah. ground. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, 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 graphic design was the major. Gotcha. So like, gotcha, that gotcha, was gotcha. like something that like... You could get a real job. You could get a real job doing that. So I was a graphic design major and I had a minor in studio art. But at the time, like honestly, like I was doing... I was really focused on music, continued to play, play in a bunch of bands. I was in a band. Uh, we got signed to a German record label. We got to go tour Europe. Wow. It was really, really fun. At that time, uh, I was really doing like graphic design. Uh, like halfway through my undergraduate, uh, I dropped graphic design because I it got so into like website programming and stuff, which I wasn't interested in. Um, once I sort of had like the skills with the design programs I would use. But anyways, like all the majority of my artwork at that time 
was like very illustration, like 1960s graphic really? design. Yeah. So it was all like, I would do like, I was kind of known in Northern California for in a, within a small circle. Um, cause I would do tons of these show posters for all these bands, particularly in Sacramento, but in the Bay area as well. And they were always sort of these, uh, really sort of happy cartoony like animals and they look like 1960s illustrations while I was sort of doing that and cultivating like that world in the bands and stuff I was in I I kind of did all the the organizing for the band so I would sort of like contact the record labels I would set up tours I would do all the sort of like business stuff to it yeah so from a pretty young age I was sort of doing event coordinating which totally leads into the beta stuff too, because that's what I was doing for them. Yeah, and so it wasn't until, like, honestly, I think I was 20 or 21. I had a big issue with my band, and I was like, fuck this, there's too many egos to deal with. Oh, really? And you were, like, gone? And I was just like, I can just apply all this sort of, like, business stuff I'm doing for the band, which is the not fun stuff, because I really like going to the shows, playing, and, like, partying. Like, exactly. You know, I like, yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. like drinking and having a good You're time. You're like a kid, man. And, You know, like, like, I'm having a good time. Um, and I ended up doing like all this like business stuff, which was beneficial for my life in the end, but uh, wasn't super fun at the time. So, anyways, I had like like issues with the band and broke up the band. Was it your fault that the band broke up? Yeah, I called it. It wasn't. I ended it, but I wasn't. I don't think I was the impetus for things were falling. <laughs> things were falling apart. <laughs> um, but I was so. Anyways, at that point, I was like, I'm sick of doing like graphic design stuff, and I was halfway through my undergraduate degree and so I think I switched to just a major in studio art and then that's when I started like I think I like learned about like German expressionism and it like completely it just took like, off like there. blew my mind and like I started like really painting and it totally changed and then my whole trajectory changed and then I was I had like a really great teacher who was like you should really apply to grad school it really changed like what you're doing I did and I applied to like five really good schools and I got into one and then I packed up and left and so it's kind of weird, like for me, like in LA, I've been in LA for like 10 years now, like my wife, her whole family, like all my friends, like no one's ever seen me perform. No one's ever like- Your wife's never seen you? No, no one's like most of, I mean, she's like heard the records, but most people have like, have never, like that's like I have a double life. Cause in Sacramento- Nobody knows it. Everyone like, knew, I was in like the papers and everyone knew me and shit. Really? Yeah. And I was, and I was, you know, it was like Sacramento is kind of like a small town in a- kind of big city so like you everyone knows each other and everyone's playing so is Devin and, is Devin totally sick of you being like I'm sort of a big deal <laughs> well I don't know I don't talk like that <laughs> I don't talk like that but she like there was a period there was a period of time when Devin and I first started dating and it was this weird moment where like everywhere we would go someone would be like hey it's you from Sacramento are you kidding no I had like this moment for like when I I have been like they had to feel good years ago. like uh yeah no 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 it's it was, okay. it was it's kind okay. of I honestly that was kind of embarrassing because like like for me at the end of Sacramento, like I felt like I, I started to get like very introverted and kind of paranoid because it was like everywhere I went, people knew me. Wow. And so I started like not liking that at all. And like, and having kind of a hard time. You're with recognizable that. too. You're a tall dude. Yeah. And I've like, like bleach, like white hair, yeah, and, you yeah. know? And like, so like, but it was a great period for a period of time. So let's finally yeah, yeah. go into the gallery. Yeah. <laughs> So you're both artists, you working in an artist studio, you sort of take, you, you split from that for a little bit and then you find a studio space, but the studio space also includes this thing next door to it. Right. Isn't that how kind of, um, so we, we found Devin and I had, a, we had a small warehouse in Boyle Heights, um, that we, we rented for several years, which are our studios. 
And uh, after grad school, um, I kind of immediately started independently curating it in alternative spaces because we graduated in 2008. Oh, I didn't know that, really. Yeah, so we graduated in 2008, so it was like the economic crash like happened like right before we graduated. I was 07. Yeah, so for us, it was like the classmates who were two years ahead of us I missed immediately it. got picked up I and missed they it got by these a big year. careers. Yeah, and I so, missed it by a year. Totally. It was crazy. Yeah, it was horrible. <laughs> well, I say, so, hang on, hang on. Let me say that with a, a caveat. I missed it by a year if my work would have been good then. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's not true. Mine, mine wasn't ready for it either. It's true. No, I was not ready. So I wasn't ready at all. Yeah, yeah. Let's um, not kid ourselves. <laughs> it's true. It's true. I think Devin's work was ready. I actually do. Her, you know what? I could was, totally see that. Her work was ready and it didn't happen for her, because I think, because of the economy, not because of her work. She's her a work, wonderful photographer. Her work was like very developed and really, really great. I think I just earned points for when she hears this later. <laughs> <laughs> um, but anyway, so um, it was 2008. People right in front of us, they like skyrocketed off. Then for us and most of the people I graduated with, like nothing. There was like sort of this moment where all the small galleries in Los Angeles were closing. Chinatown was like ending. The people in Chinatown that were going on were getting bigger, bigger gallery spaces and they were not really signing emerging artists anymore. They were sort of all picking their... Everybody was like... Their uh, mid-career people that yeah. would validate their Closing their the roster. gates, securing the fort. Yeah, so it was sort of like one of these uh, moments and I had never organized an art show before and I had all these friends coming out of this sort of like fancy MFA program who were kind of like, just go in the studio and paint and you know, wait it out. And Screw I, you. Yeah, and in my experience, I was kind of like, fuck that. Like, You're going to make something happen. Like, You're going to do it. Yeah, I was like, I, like, I had this like shitty band and I got us a record deal. I'm sure I could, you know, get something going on for me and my friends or whatever. So that kind of like was the start. So I was independently curating in sort of like alternative spaces for about five years. And right from the beginning, I, I would make a zine or like a, a publication to coincide with all the shows. And so the first show I did, Diana Thader helped me out and she got me space at the Pacific Design Center for me to curate. Thank you. Yep. So she got me space at the Pacific Design Center and I curated an exhibition and then I made a zine for it. And then I used the publication that I made, which was, it's pretty fun now in hindsight because like now we, you know, we make books and publications yeah, and stuff. For those of you who don't know, every show has a publication. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We have those like, printed material for They've gotten progressively better. Yeah, nicer, nicer. Yeah, but they're really good. Thank they're you. They're fantastic. Thank you, thank you. Yeah, I think I, they continue to, to improve, and they're really, really fun to make. Then I would send the books out to, like, everyone I knew in Los Angeles or anyone I was interested in, and then that would kind of turn into the next opportunity to curate something. So, like, slowly, for, like, about five years, like, every six months, I was curating something, and they weren't all alternative spaces, but pretty much all alternative spaces because there weren't as many artist-run spaces or alternative spaces back then. So, anyway, so that takes us to... Um, Dev and I getting the studio. So we had the, we had another studio in Boyle Heights that sold. And then we moved, we were looking around, we found a small space in Glendale and it's hard to find like a smallish warehouse. Yeah. It doesn't you know, exist. it's really hard. Like it's either like a, a 10 or 15,000, 10 or 15,000 square foot place or like a storefront. And so for two people, it's hard to like yeah. negotiate that. And we didn't want to be landlords or anything. So it took us like a year. We found, we found the space It's a really amazing space. And so we just had our studios there for a while. Yeah, then I co-curated a show at the Torrance Art Museum and then was like, I wanted to just open my own space because I had this great proposal for a show and I couldn't get anyone to do it. And it was a, a tribute to H.C. Westerman. And he's now like everywhere, yeah, having everywhere. like this huge moment. Yeah, and, you this, were like, I and this was like five years ago before like Venus it, it over uh, Venus over New York. Yeah, dude. Yeah, I mean, he's so, I mean, and rightfully deserved. His, his work is so amazing. Um, 
So I had this, this great proposal. I couldn't get anyone in town to do it. I was like, fuck it, let's get our own space. So then we had like the whole debate of like where this gallery would be because as artists, we're like, well, if we have to get another lease and another landlord. It's a lot of money. How do you even, yeah. yeah. Exactly. And you and then you have to get, you know, if you're going to do the, the business, you have to get insurance and you have to do. Yeah. And you're going to be another year looking for it again too. Yeah. All this stuff, you know. So we were trying to figure it out and, and kind of talking. And then we talked to our current landlord. There is a garage attached to our small warehouse. And he just opened the door and was like, would you guys want to take this over? <laughs> and it, so it was like really like a, like an amazing moment. Um, like, oh. Uh... Yeah, yeah. But I mean, at the time, it was like completely fucked up. It was like. It was a mess. I saw an yeah. early photo. Yeah, yeah. Standing it was totally there. fucked up. Yeah, there was like mold everywhere and broken windows. And, and like and a hole in the floor. Oh, yeah. And a hole in the floor, which is where we. And opening a space, that is. Like we honestly, I would probably say for eight months we were deba- debating what to name the gallery, and particularly in the very beginning we were like completely not comfortable calling it a gallery. It was a project space. Well, because how are you going to be a serious artist? Yeah, exactly, have- exactly. We were like very, very like, if we call it a gallery, then people won't view us as artists anymore. Blah 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 blah. It's a debate. Yeah, and it is a debate, and 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 most sort of like artist run spaces choose one side they're like we're either going to sell work or we're not going to sell work that's it yeah, you're absolutely be- right well not even choose too i think um the guys from uh, metro pcs mm-hmm. it's listed as a on their cvs and i talked to them about this it's listed as a uh like a happening type thing it's not listed oh, okay. as a, a permanent space yeah, uh, yeah. vacancy they look at it in a different way they look at it as a gallery space but it does mm-hmm. shut down like for part of the year too I yeah mean, yeah yeah everybody treats it a different way because they whatever works for their their own practice yeah yeah and i do think that like there are more starting to happen of artists run spaces that are commercial galleries that the artists are still respected as artists and isn't thought of as blurring all these lines i think that happens more in la than anywhere else though because there's opportunity to open the spaces out here because of the that's true the space in general that is true yeah, there's just like so much more space and it's so much more affordable than in than in New York. Yeah, tending yeah, yeah. not to be as as much as it what it what it was once, but um, no, you're right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The opportunity is there to find a hole in the wall mm-hmm. and fix it up and sort of put something together and see if yeah. see if it sticks. Yeah, yeah. And that's basically what happened with the pit. Was like we were offered the space. You ran with it. It was super affordable because the landlord's really really cool. We put some money into it. Like Devin Devin left her job. To basically like set up, the, like which did, is, by the way, that's intense. That's yeah, like was, a major commitment. It was a big moment. It was a big moment for us, like for sure. Um, Two people working full time to run a space, yeah, and have art practices. Yeah, yeah, I remember talking to you guys when you she decided to quit and you were like doing it, and I was like, that is ballsy. Yeah, <laughs> um, but amazing, and it was great. Really I mean, like it's it's one of those things. Like it is really tough. Like I think like I don't want to get on too far off of like a tangent, but like. I've been around so many friends who have like the so, so many artists. I'm sure you can relate to this. Who have like the eternal debate of like, should I just quit my job and just be an artist and just make make the work, you yeah. know? And there's like, I always hear people being like, just go for it and it'll work out and work really hard at it. You know, I people <laughs> always tell people this, and they're like, that in happen. my world, I'm like. Or you could like totally fuck up your life if you do that. Like you could end up taking on like fifty thousand dollars in debt and like be fucked for a which, long time. Which would probably be ninety percent of the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> totally, you know? So <laughs> there is something to, to be said for like making the leap, but you have to sort of figure out a way to make the leap. You've you got to be smart you, you about it. You can't just like do it, you know? 
And so we like debated it for years, you know, and then we were sort of finally getting to the moment where we're like, we wanted to, to do an, our idea of like for the pit, we were like, came from like the way I was curating shows where we were like, I always wanted, I would always curate these shows in these alternate spaces and I would get like a couple big artists and show them with a bunch of emerging artists. Yeah. And my sort of like dissatisfaction with the current scene of artists run spaces at that moment, I shouldn't say dissatisfaction, but something that I just felt like wasn't happening was that everyone sort of really embraced the idea of, oh, well, we're artists, so this can just be shitty lighting and crappy walls and blah, They couldn't blah, do blah. a professional setup. Yeah, be like, and because it was an artist-run space, it was like, that was expected. And in my world, I was like, I, like let's do an artist-run space and elevate the idea of an artist-run space. Like, let's do, and, and I will give credit where credit's due. Th 356 Mission came out, and we were like, I was so blown away by what they had done. Yeah. And I was like, Artists can do this. I know they had like massive funding and there was a giant blue chip gallery involved and everything, but still like that, they have amazing programming and that space is mind bogglingly beautiful. So it's put together well. Yeah, it really is. Like, so I was very, very blown away by it and we were like, let's do it. And like, let's do it right. Like let's get good insurance so that we can have hundred thousand dollar pieces of artwork in here. You know, and we're like, let's get like good there, lighting. By like, the way, there are galleries that run professional galleries that don't have that insurance. I know. <laughs> I know. And, I and, won't and, name you know, them. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, so we got going and we're like, and it's like the lighting we put in was like there were lights that were used in Mocha. So they're, they're museum quality lights that we're putting in it. And, and it looks like it when you walk in there. It's, it's beautifully lit, I think. That's what the, the goal was. Uh, the first time you walk into that show, the, the very first show, mm -hmm. you're like, damn <laughs> like this is like this is proper and it's solid Thank you. Yeah, yeah but that has showed returns too mm -hmm, mm -hmm. like you guys are in a position now where you've hired a director yeah and so yeah so in the very beginning we like Devin left her job she set up the business because all of that and it's like set up the business and was sort of handling the build out it's a full-time job and that took like like we couldn't do it so so i was still at PETA. she was facilitating that stuff once the first show opened, she actually went back to work. She was working for um, the nonprofit A&P, Mark Bradford's nonprofit. Oh, yeah. And, uh, Art and practice. Yeah, yeah. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so she went back there. She was working there, um, and we started the first shows. And then the first show was a really amazing show. I think after the second show, I was able to leave my job. And so anyways, in the video. Were you, why were you able? Were you, were you we, selling we stuff? Made, we made sales, Yeah. And so that was something that we... Was that unexpected? When that started happening, were you just like, huh? It was shocking. Yeah. <laughs> you were like, I mean, to us, it was well, shocking. You are we like, like I'll be damned. I can't sell my own work. Yeah. <laughs> but I can, I can, I can sell, sell other people's work. Yeah. <laughs> and so, I mean, that was like a really, I guess, again, there was like a lot of like fortuitous things that came out of it. And part of it, again, came from like the way that we were curating and the way we were handling the shows. We're like, we wanted, from the beginning, we were like, you know, we named it The Pit. Like we wanted it to have this sort of like punk rock feeling that we're like, we're going to make zines. We want this to be like a community, like ran by artists for artists. We wanted it to be accessible. And that way you have a lot of guest curators that come in too. We do. Like we curate half, half the shows and then we bring in an outside curator. And it, to it half. adds a, a, a life force to the, totally. to the show and brings a whole new community. And each time you have those guest curators, totally. but they're not just guest curators. Curators. They are people who are, really good at what they do yeah they're yeah, yeah, high yeah. level guest curators totally it's yeah, not yeah, like yeah, joe yeah. the artist down the street yeah. <laughs> yeah it's true yeah like we bring in like like really great curators i noticed that that was one of the first things i noticed yeah yeah is that the the guest curators that you do bring in 
are of another level. Yeah. And I mean, I would say like in, for any business, like who you work with is always going to like define you in well, a way. Well, it shines a light you know? on you, right? Yeah. It's, and so it's, it's like building this gallery the proper way. Yeah, yeah. You were able to get those guest curators that are at a higher level because they look at the space and they're like, oh yeah, mm-hmm. I could, I can think of put, putting a show in here. Yeah. Yeah. So then you quit your job. I quit my job after like the second show. And that, I mean, honestly, like that was the point. So in the beginning we were like, this is a project space ran by artists. <laughs> and then and we were like very like definitive about it. And we were also like in the very beginning, like, so it's the galleries attached to our studios. And in the very beginning we were like, it's off limits. Studios are off limits. Oh, were they really? I didn't yeah. realize so that. They, like the first two shows, it was like closed up. So there was this, this little tiny gallery attached to a bigger space and people didn't go in the bigger space. And that was one of the things we like, we talked about a bunch or, or quite a bit where we're like, I think part of what, like part of what our draw is, is there is like this level of like professionalism and we bring in these like great curators and big artists. And, but then the other part is sort of like the community aspects and the, like the openness that we have with the people who come. And the, I, I think like us being approachable to people, it is one of the friendliest galleries in LA. Thank you. And that's one of the things too, like when, like when, or like when, when artists write to us and say, who hey, we look at my, my work, like I always try to get back. I'm sure there've been times I haven't, but I always try to but do it. But that shit matters. I, yeah. Cause I, I, I know, you what, have it's, it. I know I what it's it. like. Yeah. Like, it's so hard and people don't write back to you. And like, I do the same thing. So, like, if people write me and they want to talk about the work or they're like, it's a younger artist or anything like that. And mm-hmm. I don't get very many by the way. Yeah. But <laughs> when yeah. I do get these things or somebody wants to do a studio visit, like, I am for the most part like a hundred percent on board. Yeah, yeah. Unfortunately, we can't do the studio business with everyone. I no, would, I would love to. No, but no, we, no. We but get that would so be many way requests. Too many. Yeah, do yeah. you really? So many requests. Yeah, which is really flattering. It's really great because because I, you've grown into something that's huge. Yeah, and like and and I want the, you know art students, young artists. I want people to feel like they can approach us and that they will get a response and that we will treat them like humans. That we won't just blow them off like the way that most people who run galleries do. Yeah, not a right back or just disregard completely. Yeah, you know, and so unfortunately we can't do visits with everyone. We try to do as many as we can, but it's just. But by the way, I don't do visits with everyone either. Just okay. putting that. Out there. <laughs> <laughs> we, but we definitely try to, and like I'm and, not a fucking saint. Yeah. <laughs> um, but anyways, so um, so you've gone into this place now where everything's running really smoothly. It's building yeah. up. Yeah, 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 yeah. You you hired. A full-time director. It's your first like employee, like full. Well, not your we first. We have we. It's our it's our second. So we when we started, we were a project space, and then things started selling, and I was able to leave my job, and then we we're like, hey, it's a gallery, and so then we were still we were by a appointment only for, I think the first year, maybe nine months, nine months to a year, we were just just appointment only, um, and then we were like trying to strategize how to honestly we were trying to strategize how to get more reviews and how to get more press, yeah, which. We, it I'm matters. Ve- very grateful for. We've actually done quite well with press. So we were like, by appointment is really tough because writers don't want to write about something that isn't open to the public, which I totally understand. At about about our one year anniversary, we brought on someone to basically be like run the space when you run the able space to be on there. Saturdays and Sundays. Oh, so smart. yeah. So then we brought on um, this person. His name's Sean. He's a yeah. really amazing Sean's person. Great. He's great. Yeah. He worked at uh, Not Eggby, where I show. Yeah, yeah, he works not Ebke. He's worked kind of all over, like a lot of galleries. Great guy. He, he's an artist himself. He's a really wonderful person. Um, so he came on, and so then for 
not quite a year, but I guess like another nine months, we were to like open like Saturdays and Sundays. And so during that period of time, the eternal question that I think all like sort of young galleries kind of face is like, do we do fairs? And so we were sort of grappling with because like, that's money. Yeah, and so we're, there's money to put in, and but not necessarily. In, in theory, it's money to get back. <laughs> right. I mean, and, it's, and it's, and a, maybe, it's a gamble, you know. Well, and maybe you get the press that you need to like sort of push through and get sure. get more people in the in the door to begin with. For sure. Yeah, yeah. So we were sort of like in this moment where we're sort of like debating like what we should do, and we, um, uh, Tim Fleming, who runs our Los Angeles Contemporary, was like really kind to us, and he brought us on, and we had. In our first year, when we saw by appointment only, we had like this small... Which is, a, just so people who don't know, Art Lounge, ALAC, basically, mm-hmm. is the main fair out here in Los Angeles that yeah. has been the only fair to be able to run a smooth operation over, over the years. Everybody else, yeah. else has sort of come in and tried and then like... Kind of fell in apart. Yeah. <laughs> he, he, he runs a good operation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so he sort of like offered us like this small space in the back of the fair and we sort of did like a like a zine table with additions and stuff like that. Um, so that was sort of like our first taste of it. How long ago was that? What year? That was... 14? 2000, I think it was 2014. Yeah. Or northern January. So that would have been the first month of 2015. Okay. And that went pretty well. Or it went very well. Um, and so we were sort of like debating, because since at the, we didn't represent artists, we're like, what? how do you do fairs? Yeah, do who are you going to show? Do we, you know, because there's a different set of concerns like with the fair versus like a normal curatorial space you know because it's it's only up for four days cut the bullshit the impetus is to to sell make work money. you know it's to make money it's to sell work it's to get exposure for the artists and, and the your, gallery and your gallery it was something very new for us in terms of like how do we even approach this or how do we go about doing this or whatever so we decided sort of like roll the dice and then we did a lack again this past january and we viewed it as a, a, a curatorial space what'd you put in like it was four LA-based artists. We did uh, Eric Frydenberg, who has done a, a show with us. Eric's really a wonderful artist. He's an amazing artist and, and, and a good friend of ours. One of the ours. nicest guys in the world. Yeah, he's a really, really great person. He did a solo show at the pit as well, too. Yeah, yeah. The, at the pit, too. We, at, the at, pit so, too. at a certain point, we opened up a second space. <laughs> Which is attached to the first secondary space. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And it is made for solo shows. So the main part, it, yeah, if yeah. I'm wrong on this, you'll correct me, but... It was always group shows in the the main pit in the space. Pit. Yeah, yeah. So then this other little side space opened up where now you do solo shows for individual artists at the same time. So they're in exactly. running at the exact same time as the group shows. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they um they they coincide. Um, that would be a correct word. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was looking for that. And um, but it's actually that's actually going to start being mixed mixed up. Where there's going to start being like solo shows in the pit and maybe curatorial shows in the pit too and things are gonna start like because well multiple reasons but we are going to be bringing on we're, we're going to announce a roster at a certain point and so that's one of the things that we it's going to be a small roster of artists which all of this is sort of like led towards the thoughts on the fairs the thoughts on it's all kind of like gone together where i mean like the the more like i love doing group shows there are a lot of work there is so much work and i love like when it, like a in my opinion all of our group shows have been successes so they've all been rewarding but it's so much work um because you have like 10 artists and then the way we curate a portion of those artists have their own representation so then you're in, in dialogue with their galleries it's a total as well bitch, so that you end up talking to 15 20 different people to try and get a, a project put together um so how many 
solo shows will you have in the main space a year? Or how many artists do you think you represent? That's all up in the air. You don't want to talk about it? It's or? all kind of up in the air. I mean, like, we want it to be small. So, like, between five and eight would be, like, the represented group. Well, that's pretty good. Um, yeah. And we really wanted it to be, like, just, like, really focused. And, like, we definitely have, like, an aesthetic and a vision of the type of work that we are really drawn to. Without mentioning names, you already have thoughts on who is going, and you already started talking to these people, or what are you doing? Yeah, we already have... We have four or five confirmed already. Wow. Um, so we'll be, we will be making an announcement at the end of summer or the fall. That's great. Yeah, it's going to be great. It's going to be really, really good. And there's going to be uh, a portion from Los Angeles and there's going to be some New York people. Um, it's good to mix it up too. It's going to be great. It's going to be really good. Like, I mean, I, we're, we're so LA focused the pit here and with like the community aspect, but there are like a lot of artists. Well, obviously there's a tremendous amount of artists in New York, but there's a, we have made relationships with people that have like a very similar, like sort of like mind frame as us out there who are artists and curators and doing all these things. How did you find things. them though? Like what was just through having the gallery? Uh, it's kind of a mix. A couple of them have been in shows that, we, that we've done. Yeah. A couple of them through shows they've curated or through like they work at galleries and things like that. Um, it's, it's, but the New York people will be, will be less than the, than the amount of LA people. But yeah, at a certain point, we we're just kind of like we've done so many group shows, and as we started, do, we introduced the the pit two, which is the secondary space, in um, just last November. So it's been, we've done this three shows, and the fourth show is coming up, which is gonna be amazing. Amanda Rosso is doing the next show, which I is gonna be incredible. Yeah, it's gonna be an incredible show. It's pretty amazing. It's gonna be great. Yeah, it's gonna be really, really great. We're really excited about it. It just started to feel more rewarding and more interesting working with specific artists over longer periods of time and trying to figure out how to we can actually help them and how to benefit them and how to further their careers than just doing group show after group show after group show after group show. So it's sort of a mix of things. I mean, like the fairs did play a little bit of a factor in it. Like once we started like doing fairs being like, okay, like it, it does make more sense. Like the fair as a tool, someone that we're invested in for a long term, taking them to a fair will help them much more in a much much more beneficial way right. than than someone who we're just going to bring for four days here and four days here and four days here like from fair to fair. Well, eventually it's like shit or get off the pot too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know <laughs> so, what I mean? Like, yeah, you got to make a decision. Like, is this yeah, a yeah. project or is this a gallery? Yeah, and so yeah, so we're kind of like at that moment, and it's it it just feels great. I mean, to be honest, because it was sort of like I I view the pit as sort of like this gallery space that can be like fuck rules like we make our rules and there don't have to be any set rules and so at a certain point we were like as we were rolling it started to be like well we have this mission and the mission is multi-generational group shows and then after two years like that started to feel like a rule and i sort of sort of started to feel myself internally like, wanting to push your rules wanting to push against it you know yeah, and being yeah. like you know what like this person could do a really cool solo show in here like why can't she like why does it have to be that she's in the smaller space if she doesn't want the smaller space and I, I agree with you that. know so like we kind of hit that the, the sort of moment where we're kind of like i think it makes more sense to invest more in artists and there will be artists doing solo shows that aren't on the roster too like that's the thing like we always want there to be artists we aren't continually continuing to work with doing projects we want to bring outside curators and then we want to have like our like what's well, the bonus of having multiple spaces too exactly which really is like great because like if you have you know we have two spaces we do shows every two months so if you have like five to eight people on your roster and you have 12 spots a year, you can, everyone can do everybody's, projects everybody's and, you can, and you can still do like five outside projects a year. 
and it's a really diverse program and we'll continue to bring in all these other people. So yeah, so it's kind of like, it's like really amazing moment where we, we brought on the director, which I think is what started this, this sort of long winded conversation. Did. We brought on the director and the reason we brought on the director who's I'm going to name him because he's probably going to listen to this too. <laughs> Tyler Park, who's he's also a really amazing person. We were initially just sort of thinking of like doing fairs and bringing someone on to work sort of like project to project. So they just like come and work on like each fair and help us like logistically with the fairs. It doesn't make sense after at a certain point. And this person, we interviewed him and everything just made so much sense. And he had so much experience that we were like similar to the conversation we we're having. If we invest in this person, it's going to benefit everyone so much better, you know, and it's already overall. turned into what it is now. Yeah. And it's already representing it's, artists and everything else too. Yeah. And things have been great. We just did like not in New York, which was really great. And you got some amazing press for that too. The New York times wrote about us. There was uh, 105 galleries in the fair, 108, 105, something like that. And, uh, only five were written up by the New York times and we were one of them, which was congratulations. Thank you. It was really amazing. And it felt really great too, because the artists we were working with, is an LA-based artist who... Uh, What's his name? Or and, her name? Andrew Sexton. He's an he, amazing sculptor. But he's been here like working for a long time. He makes amazing work and sort of hasn't had much love recently. So it felt really great to be able to sort of like... Take Give his work, that to take, the Take his work to New York, yeah. get really great exposure for him, get the New York Times write up and sort of like reinvigorate and get people interested in his practice again because he, he really deserves it. Well, Adam, I got to say like, everything you guys are doing, it's really inspirational and like, thank you. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm serious. I like appreciate it. You, you have a, you have a practice of your own. Devin has a practice of her own. Mm-hmm. You're still doing it. You have a little kid that you, you're yeah, yeah. raising at the same time. And then you're growing this gallery space into something that is like to be, it's going to be enviable of like other, other places here in LA and New York thank and you. everything too. Well, we try, but thank you. <laughs> um, we're out of time. Oh, Ren. Well, cool. Well, thank you for being on. Thank you for having me on. And next time, Devin will have to be with us. For sure. Yeah. Okay. And Thanks, River. dude. <laughs> yeah.